in modern society, we kind of hold this expectation, every pill for an ill, and that a pill is supposed to fix everything. Most of the time, the medications, they can help, but they, they don't fix everything. And sometimes lifestyle can actually fix so many more things than medications can. Welcome to the All Too Well podcast. I'm your host, Erica Huss. I'm a wellness entrepreneur, wellness expert, your wellness whisperer, and I'm here to make your journey towards better health just a little more comfortable and a little less cringy. And today I am sharing my chat with Dr. Isabella Wentz, who is a focused clinical pharmacist, and she's also trained in functional medicine, and she is really, truly an expert on all things having to do with the thyroid and the adrenal system. She is the author of multiple books, including The Thyroid Secret and uh, Hashimoto's Thyroiditis, Lifestyle Interventions for Finding and Treating the Root Cause. And her newest book is The Adrenal Transformation Protocol, a four-week plan to release stress symptoms and go from surviving to thriving. Uh, releasing stress symptoms, I think, is something we can all relate to and who among us would prefer to survive rather than thrive. And that's really what a lot of this is all about. It's really talking about root cause issues. I think there are probably more of us than we know out there that are suffering from thyroid conditions that have gone undiagnosed for way too long. Uh, others of us that are dealing with some adrenal issues. I actually was really surprised to learn a, a few things as we uh, kind of dug into the conversation. And since I had that conversation with Dr. Wentz, I actually made some tweaks to my own supplement protocol. And a couple of the suggestions she gave me were super helpful and literally changed the uh, the course of my sleep journey for the better. So there's really a lot of great information in here. Again, these issues between the thyroid system and the adrenal system, these are issues that affect many, many more of us than we even realize because they can often uh, just be sort of mimicked by other symptoms and, and issues. So I encourage you to listen with both ears open and um, yeah, you might learn something that could apply to you or someone you love. Please enjoy my chat with Dr. Isabella Wentz. So officially, I'm going to welcome you, Dr. Isabella Wentz. You are thyroid specialist and pharmacist um, and author of the new book, The Adrenal Transformation Protocol, which is four weeks to release stress symptoms, which sounds incredibly appealing, I think, to many people because this is just an ongoing topic of... Uh, you know, kind of a nightmare topic that 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 stress and chronic stress and how it affects us is is not it's it's trending in the wrong direction, I guess I should say. So very happy to have this conversation with you and can't wait to dive in. So excited to be here with you, Erica. I'm excited to help people, you know, just really shift into that thriving state. There's a way to do it rather quickly if you know the right things to do and if you know the right signals to send to your body. Yeah. Well, so first of all, I love that you are, um, you're a pharmacist and obviously with that, you've been very exposed to the entire world of Western medicine, um, and all of the various, you know, potions and pills and compounds and things that can fix us. But what I love about, you know, your approach is you have a functional medicine background and you really do try to address the root cause of issues, which I think is, you know, it's kind of constantly something that we talk about. But in this world of, of uh, you know, if you're doing wellness right, it means that you're trying to address problems and prevent issues before they actually start as opposed to 
coming up, you know, coming up against something where we're looking at disease and then just really having to pop a pill and then follow that with another pill. So I'm actually interested to know how you kind of like bridge that those two worlds, because I think of, you know, the world of pharmaceuticals as so kind of traditional modern medicine, but the functional approach and the root cause approach is not necessarily in line with that. So what, I mean, how do you, how do you think about it? You know, it started during pharmacy school. I remember learning about some of these health challenges and health conditions. And a lot of what we learned about was like how, how they develop. And so there were patterns and we don't, we don't know how every condition develops, but I remember thinking to myself, learning about, you know, like diabetes is that as a pharmacist, I would be talking to that person when they've had diabetes and some of the alterations in their bodies for 5, 10, 15, 20, 30 years without them really knowing what kind of habits to focus on. And I I would be coming towards kind of the, the stage of their care when they were like so advanced that medications is what they would need and maybe lifestyle could help, but it's like so much easier to prevent a condition, right? Than to heal from it. And there's also, there's always causes. There are always reasons why we are not thriving in the moment. And really my journey kind of going deeper into it. I remember thinking to myself during pharmacy school, I'm like, why, you know, I don't want to talk to people when they're so far down the road. Like I want to reach earlier. Like how do I educate people on how to live their best lives so we could prevent the need for medication and, you know, use medications you know, I'm a pharmacist. I have a t-shirt that says, I heart drugs. I love them. <laughs> it could be very helpful yes. for advanced situations. And, um, you know, emergency medicine save lo- saves lives for critical situations, but there's such a big, big world of lifestyle change and opportunities of knowing like how to heal our bodies and knowing how to treat our bodies. This is where my area of passion stems from. I first got really passionate about this when I was in my twenties and I was diagnosed with Hashimoto's thyroiditis. I thought I was doing everything well. Like I was, you know, eating whole grains. I was exercising like six to seven times a a week. I thought I was living, you know, a low, like, you know, a, a really healthy kind of lifestyle, but yet I was fatigued. I was brain fogged. I had irritable bowel syndrome. I had carpal tunnel in both arms. And every year I felt like I was getting more and more symptoms Till I finally got diagnosed with Hashimoto's and I was excited to take the medications, but at the same time, I was like, is there anything I can do to maybe lower my requirement for medications to maybe get rid of some of the symptoms, the medications can't help or to prevent the progression of my illness, maybe reverse some of the things that are going on in my body. And this is where I really got into becoming more of a functional medicine expert slash human pig was trying to get myself to feel better. And, you know, my approach these days is if you have um, a thyroid condition, for example, and you need thyroid medications, let's make sure that you're optimized on those medications. And let's make sure that we're doing everything lifestyle wise so you could feel your best because you can't really depend on a little pill to fix everything in your life, right? It's it's kind of, we, in modern society, we kind of hold this expectation, every pill for an ill, and that a pill is supposed to fix everything. Most of the time, the, the medications, they can help, but they can, they don't fix everything. And sometimes lifestyle can actually fix so many more things than medications can. Yeah. 
So I know that there's a difference between Hashimoto's, which is a thyroid condition, and the adrenal conditions that you talk about in your book, and I want to get into that. But if we can spend a little bit more time on Hashimoto's first, because I think, um, obviously, you've written three books on it. You're very well you know, versed in this. Can you explain a little bit more about what it actually is? Because I think that I think among a lot of, and it's specific to women. Is that is that correct? Is it um, is it only something that women? Well, I'll, I'll finish my question and then you can correct it and 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 walk it back. But from you know the community of women I know, there are a couple of people who have been diagnosed with it that had no idea what it even was before they were diagnosed because oftentimes it presents as something else entirely, and the symptoms are a little bit kind of you know, mercurial and it could be one thing or it could be another. So can you just talk a little bit about what it actually is and 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 how the, the thyroid system works in that regard? Um, and to your point, you know, your own experience, is it something that is preventable or is it something where you, you know, you can't actually prevent the development of it, but you can do something to mitigate the progression of it? It's like a three-part question, but <laughs> start wherever you like. Yeah, lots of really great questions. So let's start with does it affect women primarily? Um, so it can affect men, women, and children, although women tend to be predominantly affected. So for every man that's got diagnosed, there will be three to seven women who are diagnosed with Hashimoto's. Um, so we'll just say five, you know, just, just to kind of take the average of that. And it does tend to peak around the times when we have hormonal shifts. So pregnancy, puberty, and perimenopause are going to be the three times in a woman's life when this might happen. And a lot of times it kind of hits you out of nowhere. So you might be going around your day-to-day life. Let's say you're in perimenopause and you are like, I've been eating my same diet and I've been doing the same exact type of exercise. And all of a sudden, like, how did I gain 10 pounds in the last few weeks? Like, where did that extra weight come from? So weight gain is going to be a symptom. Fatigue is going to be a, a symptom. Brain fog will be a symptom. Hair loss. Women might present with anxiety. They might present with depression. They might present with actually fertility issues. So one of the really, you know, big cause of miscarriage and trouble having trouble to conceive can be elevated Hashimoto's antibodies. Um, and you know, really, this is something that I wish people would get tested for during their fertile years if they're trying to conceive. And this is not a standard of care test. And then, you know, in early younger adults, it can also present as anxiety, obsessive compulsive disorder, and quote, unquote, mental health symptoms, kind of in the early stages. And then the right tests for Hashimoto's aren't oftentimes done. When we have Hashimoto's, this is essentially an autoimmune attack on the thyroid gland. And then the thyroid gland over time will lose its ability to produce thyroid hormones. So Hashimoto's can go on for 10, 15 years before there's an alteration in your thyroid hormone production. And before kind of conventional medicine might test it, conventional medicine, when we think about thyroid issues, we test for the TSH, which is thyroid stimulating hormone. And this is going to be elevated when somebody has had thyroid issue, hypothyroidism. The longer you have hypothyroidism, the higher that TSH is going to be. This is like a signaling hormone that tells the body to make more thyroid hormone. Um, But before that elevation in TSH occurs, you can actually find thyroid illness by 
Hashimoto's antibodies, TPO and TG antibodies, these are indication that there's an autoimmune attack against your thyroid glands. And oftentimes people will be symptomatic, right? So they might have a lot of the Hashimoto symptoms. Most commonly the anxiety is going to be presenting. Um, the miscarriages can present as well as fatigue and just an overall feeling of like, I don't feel good, or maybe you might be losing hair. And so ideally, if you can catch Hashimoto's, when you have these antibodies and you could work on reducing the source of the antibodies, sometimes it's the food that you're eating. Sometimes it's a chronic infection that's, you know, hidden somewhere within your body. You can prevent the need for thyroid medications and you can absolutely reverse the autoimmune process and hypothyroidism. It's much easier to like, you know, catch it before it damages your thyroid gland than it is to like try to regrow and regenerate thyroid tissue, which it's it's possible to do, but it's not always um, real. It's not always straightforward. I can't say like, I could tell you that most people I've worked with, I can get their Hashimoto's antibodies into remission. Whereas as far as thyroid tissue regeneration, it's kind of, I'll do the same thing for people, but it'll be hit or miss Mm -hmm. whether this person will um, be able to wean off of their thyroid meds or not. Right. And I mean, again, you say it's important to catch it early, but what we know in terms of the symptoms is that, you know, as I was saying before, they are, I mean, nobody would necessarily associate anxiety, depression, OCD, something like that with a thyroid condition, right? You just think of that as strictly in the kind of like mental health bucket and same as like hair loss or, you know, sleep deprivation or all, or insomnia, all of these things. So, I mean, I, you know, I say all the time, but like, it is obviously so critical to kind of pay attention to your body and check in and understand be very mindful of when you're exhibiting symptoms or feeling things that you don't normally feel. But that being said, it mean, it does feel so mysterious in that it could be so many other things, right? I mean, everything that you just named is also a symptom of menopause. So save for the fact that you're, you know, if you're not pregnant and obviously then um, you're not in menopause, but otherwise, (laughs) like it could very easily be interpreted and a doctor might say like, well, this is not, you know, this is just a hormonal shift. This has nothing to do with your thyroid. Or, you know, like an estrogen shift. So, I mean, it's frustrating because I feel like we don't want to fear monger and convince everybody that does have some of those symptoms that they might have something as serious as Hashimoto's, but also it doesn't want to be overlooked. It wasn't really a question. It was more just an observation. Well, it's very common. So it's something that sounds rare and exotic, but anywhere from 20 to 30% of women will have Hashimoto's at some point in their lives. And so they did a study of women going to like a health fair. I believe, I believe it was in Iowa. I'll have, I'll have to check where the place was, but just screening for thyroid antibodies, they found somewhere upwards of like 30 to 38% within that population. And of course, you know, people generally people that are a little bit more health um, impacted or maybe have some symptoms, they're going to be more likely to go to a health fair versus a person without symptoms. But it's it's so, so common and so prevalent that I'm a big advocate for, you know, if you're if you're struggling with any symptoms, check your thyroid antibodies. If you're trying to conceive, if you're going through um, perimenopause or, you know, you're a new mom and you're exhausted, like check your thyroid antibodies because these this condition is so, so common and getting your antibodies checked and then doing something about them can be the key to you feeling amazing and preventing like Mm. 
so many symptoms. Well, and if it goes untreated, I mean, it can ultimately be pretty serious, right? What, like what happens if you don't address it and it just sort of progresses? I mean, generally, if you don't treat Hashimoto's antibodies, it'll be five, 10, sometimes 15 years, but you will end up with hypothyroidism. The more that the kind of, um, it's, it's not necessarily, um, every single time, but I would say generally the higher your antibodies, the faster that progression will happen. Mm -hmm. So people who have antibodies that are like 5,000 plus, you might see, you might be going into hypothyroidism within a year or two. If your antibodies are, are at like 30 or 40, maybe it'll take you 10, 15 years. But some of the more consequences of hypothyroidism, I mean, I've seen people who have, who thought they had mental health issues, like ser serious mental health issues with depression, with, um, you know, not be ever at being able to have children. So they have had serious fertility issues mm. in people putting on a lot of weight, um, really suppressing their vitality and their ability to show up in the world. I've had women who ended up going on disability leave mm. because they weren't able to function in day-to-day -day life. And so, you know, the brain fog, the hair loss, oh, the, the anxiety, the depression, the weight gain, extreme fatigue, all of this can be, I mean, you know, really. Yeah, well, then it just becomes a vicious cycle because those things compound, right? And then you become more depressed and despondent when you have unexplained hair loss, unexplained weight gain, all of that. So it's it's really kind of grim. Okay, well, switching gears, because I actually, it's a mystery to me, the whole kind of adrenal system versus the thyroid. So if you could shed some light there, it'd be super helpful. I think I've always thought of them as kind of one and the same, and I recognize that they're not, but if you paid me a million dollars, I couldn't explain to you the difference. So <laughs> that's why we're here. So you can. So, you know, if you are like, why are you talking about adrenals? You're the thyroid pharmacist, right? What's what happened? Um, and I would say that majority of the people that I've worked with, with adrenal issues, with thyroid issues, have some degree of adrenal dysfunction um, where I've been saying, okay, you are on thyroid meds, but you still don't feel good. What, what's happening? And there's an intricate feedback loop between our adrenal glands and the hormones they produce on our thyroid gland and the hormones the thyroid produces. And so in a person um, with, with just adrenal dysfunction and let's say their thyroid is completely healthy because they have adrenal dysfunction, they're going to be producing more of something known as reverse T3, which gets into the thyroid receptors, but rather than activating them, it blocks them. So I've had a lot of women come to me that'll say, Isabella, I have every symptom that you talk about from Hashimoto's and hypothyroidism. I've done all the tests. I don't have it but I have brain fog, fatigue, I'm gaining weight. I having, um, you know, like unrefreshing sleep and all of these things you talk about with Hashimoto's, like I have the symptoms and it's because your body will prioritize producing this like dummy decoy thyroid hormone. When you're under a lot of stress, it's a feedback loop. And then on the other hand, the women who have hypothyroidism, they will end up, um, their bodies will hold on to their um, cortisol, which is the main adrenal stress hormone, they'll hold on to it a little bit longer. They'll metabolize it slower. And so we might think that our cortisol levels are high or even normal when we're hypothyroid. But once we get on thyroid hormones to normalize the thyroid function, then the cortisol level will nor cortisol clearance will normalize. 
And that can mean that we may not have enough cortisol. So like that low cortisol pattern may be um, kind of revealed. So essentially what I've kind of come to think about is what causes what, right? And it's definitely a cycle and it's like one does this, but one does the other. But the women that I've worked with, I always ask them, what was going on in your life before you got sick? And most of them will say, I was going through a period of significant stress, right? Whether that's divorce or a loss of a loved one, maybe having a baby, maybe going to graduate school or some kind of illness that really overwhelms their system. And so they end up with initially, they might end up with adrenal dysfunction, adrenal fatigue. And if that goes on long enough, they made up they may end up with an um, autoimmune inflammatory condition like Hashimoto's thyroiditis or rheumatoid arthritis or ulcerative colitis or something that um, happens because our adrenals and cortisol, um, we need just the right amounts of cortisol throughout the day to manage the inflammation in our bodies, to manage our system, to make sure that our body is not breaking itself down too much and that our body is repairing itself. And so when we're in a um, adrenal dysfunctional state, our body, like it, there's no checks and balances. And then our body really break itself down and these inflammatory conditions can really prevail. So, so I guess all that to say is my hope with um, my book, Adrenal Transformation Protocol, is I want to help women with thyroid issues because addressing your adrenal health is always a thing you need to do if you have thyroid issues. But I also want to help the women who have adrenal dysfunction feel better right now, like in three weeks and also prevent the consequences of being in adrenal dysfunction. Cause if you're in it long enough, you're going to develop some sort of, um, some sort of, um, inflammatory condition or autoimmune condition. Yeah. I mean, as you're talking, I'm like remembering back to, I guess it was last summer that I had like a full, full blood work panel done. And definitely there was a lot of stress in my world at that time. And I was, you know, going through some stuff. And I remember my doctor saying like, your adrenals are basically flat. Um, and so that was, you know, disturbing. She, she checked thyroid stuff and there was no issue there. But so I'm listening to you say like, just because you don't have thyroid stuff does not mean that your adrenals can't be impacted. And now remembering maybe a little too late that that was what came back. And so she did put me on a protocol of, you know, a variety of different like supplements. And this is a functional medicine doctor. So most of it was, you know, we can, we can like geek out on that later, you know, offline. Cause I'd love your take on, on what I was on and I'm not still taking all of that stuff, but now I am curious to know, you know, I haven't done blood work in a while, so I, I don't actually know what level my adrenals are operating at. But so my question, I guess, or, or to kind of drive home what you're saying is that it doesn't take another condition in the body to trigger um, kind of an adrenal reaction or response so much as like outside forces, just general stress, um, life circumstances, all of that. And then you can put yourself into this, into this bad spot with your, with your system. Um, so, okay. So then what's in the protocol? What do we do? So the protocol is based on sending your body safety signals the types of different stressors that could send our, our body into that adrenal dysfunction state could be, you know, lifestyle things. So you're burning the bridge at both ends. You're going through a stressful time. You are not getting enough sleep. You are overeating. 
um, overeating, undereating usually, and overexercising is what I typically see. You know, you're not sleeping well enough. Those could be definitely triggers that put us over the edge. Then there's other things that may have happened in our past. So past trauma, sometimes people who have a history of trauma, they have done studies with them and their HPA axis, which is the hypothalamic pituitary adrenal axis and kind of the scientific term for adrenal dysfunction that will be altered later on in life if they have had some um, adverse childhood events. So it could be something like unprocessed trauma that is sticking with you. And if it's still triggering you and still weighing you down, this could set you into that dysfunction state. For other people, it might be the diet that they eat because they're eating inflammatory foods. Um, inflammation, you know, cortisol is our natural anti-inflammatory. So every time we're inflamed and cortisol gets signaled, that's a stressor to your body. You might have inflammation from um, from eating too many omega-6 type of foods, not enough omega-3s. Maybe um, you're eating not you're eating a lot of carbs, and so that could be sending you on a blood sugar roller coaster. Because every time we eat carbs, our blood sugar goes up and then it could come crashing down. When we become hypoglycemic, that's a sign for cortisol to be released to produce more glucose through our liver. And so these are kind of some of the patterns that I'll see in diet. And then there's like hidden infections and exposure to toxins. So things like, you know, I'll talk to some people that are like, well, my diet is pretty clean. My my life is pretty good. Um, you know, I've, I'm working with a therapist, but then they'll be stuck in this state. And sometimes it's because they're exposed to something like mold or they have some kind of a chronic inflammation um, infection within their gut or somewhere else in their body that's kind of driving that inflammatory stress response. And for some people, it's like they have everything and it's like you have to work on everything. And so my protocol and my plan goes through identifying like what is sending danger signals to your body and keeping you in that survival state. And how do we send, you know, how do, how do we stop these danger signals? Are there any ones that we can take away? Maybe, you know, maybe you're a night shift worker, so you can't sleep at night, but could you do a little bit more with your blood sugar balance? Right. And then I focus on what are some safety signals that you could send to your body and one of, one of the biggest ones, as I've alluded to, is focusing on eating for blood sugar balance. Generally, for most people, that's going to be more protein and fat throughout the day, a little bit less carbs than the Western diet, depending on the person's carb tolerance. Or I should say a lot less carbs, but probably for your audience, it's going to be you know more aligned to what, what they're eating already. And then, I mean, this is all sounding so familiar and ringing true. I'm like, oh God, I hope <laughs> I need to go and get a get some more blood work done. What else outside of those things? Because I think, again, in my own personal example, like I check these boxes, I eat clean, I exercise, I, I've definitely taken, you know, come off of exercising, quote, too much um, and being a bit more mindful of just doing like long walks as opposed to crazy cardio and all of that. But what, like short of those changes, what else is there to do? Because I imagine that those, I mean, I know obviously you want to take the most holistic approach possible, but avoiding, you know, if you're avoiding the, the going down the path of pharmaceuticals, what other types of supplementation, um, if any, are there, are there in this area? Oh my gosh. So for supplements, the game-changing supplements, I've identified actually six of them to get yourself back into a thriving state. And part of it is replenishing what really gets burned through that stress process. And so 
we're talking about vitamins. So these are things that our body can't make naturally on its own. They're going to be depleted when we're stressed. So we're going to be left over with very low levels of them. They're needed for so many different pathways in the body and they're difficult to get from food. So typically I will say, let's get you on a B vitamin, like a really high dose B complex to get you some of those B vitamins that really get burned when we're stressed out. Let's get you on some vitamin C. So stress burns through our vitamin C. We get more of that into our system. And then let's get on some magnesium because magnesium is another one of these high burn nutrients when we're stressed out. And then electrolytes. Uh, a lot of times people, if they have low blood pressure, which comes with kind of that adrenal dysfunction, they might need to add electrolytes into their routine and kind of restore the balance of um, of their hydration. And so this is going to be the plan to get most people started. And people will say, I got on electrolytes. Holy cow. I don't have pain in my body anymore. With the B vitamins, they'll have more energy. With vitamin C, their immunity will be a lot better. And then the magnesium works like magic for, for pain, cramping, menstrual cramping, helping people sleep better, helping people have less anxiety because it's, it's a factor in producing our neurotransmitters. And yeah, it's very, very helpful for a lot of people. And then I focus Wait, on- Wait, before you go, before you move on, can I just ask real quick, what form of magnesium? Because I know, for example, like magnesium glycinate is specific to sleep, but are you recommending a specific form of magnesium? So in my population of the women that I work with, a lot of them tend to be constipated. And so I have found magnesium citrate can be very helpful for that. It's the best studied one for anxiety um, as well. Magnesium glycinate is also an option if you don't, you know, want the added benefit of, of having, you know, more bowel movements. However, what I found is a lot of times people, and I talk about this in my book, some people actually feel more anxious with magnesium glycinate when they've been burned out, because when we're in burnout, we burn through our B vitamins. One of the B vitamins that's required for turning, utilizing glycine and glycinate properly is going to be um, vitamin B6. And I prefer the P5P version of it, not the synthetic pyridoxine. I prefer the more active version. What can happen if you're low in B6 and you take magnesium glycinate, it can overconvert to glutamate, which is an excitatory neurotransmitter, which can make you go bananas. So you can feel super anxious from it, super edgy, agitated. You might have pain in your body. You might have trouble sleeping at night. So we can kind of have the reverse effect. And then another thing is it can overconvert to there's, there's this pathway called the glycoxalate pathway. If you're low in B6, your glycine can actually overconvert to oxalates and produce more oxalates in your body, which can cause you to have frequent urination pain in your body, as well as like frequent night wakings. So I've, I've worked with enough people over the last you know, decade to kind of dial into like, oh my gosh, this can be an issue. So then if people can't do, you know, generally, if you're going to take glycinate, I recommend that you take P5P with it. So let's say you don't want to do the glycinate. You don't want to do the citrate. Another option is taking an Epsom salt bath. And this is, you know, I, I sell supplements, I sell magnesium, but I'm like, I mean, Epsom salts are like my favorite way to get magnesium for well, most. Also feels good. I mean, it's relaxing just even, even in your brain. Oh my gosh. It feels so good. I know not everybody likes baths, but if you're a bath babe, you know, get yourself into the bathtub and put one to two cups of Epsom salts 
And that can be so great for joint pain. That could be so great for anxiety and for helping you sleep better throughout the night. That can be helpful for cramps. And, you know, work that into your routine to have some kind of a pleasurable routine in the evenings to help you wind down. And, you know, if you don't have a bathtub, you could do a foot soak with it. If, if that, if that strikes your fancy, but this is, this is another great way. Topical magnesium Mm -hmm. in my kind of experience. And I've, I've worked with a few people who have aura rings, not, I wish everybody did, but I have found that it does tend to increase your deep sleep. I haven't seen any research studies on this and I don't have enough data to say like, this is a thing. I typically like to have like a hundred people within a data set for me to feel like confident about it as a scientist and a pharmacist. But just, I have seen this trend with topical magnesium through Epsom salts. You're going to get more restorative sleep. So your body can sleep a bit better. Your body can heal a little bit, a little bit better while you're, while you're sleeping. Yeah, no, I, the the topical magnesium thing was something I learned a few years ago and kind of blew my mind because it, you know, it doesn't seem intuitive, but um, a functional medicine doctor recommended it to me. And then I have a friend who actually had like a foot care company. And I was like, do you know anything about this? And she's like, no, but, you know, maybe we should discuss it further. And like now they've created this like magnesium sleep spray for your feet. Um, it's called Dream State. It's by Barefoot Scientist. It's amazing. And it's like one of their best-selling products. And I'm like... Because it really does work. And, you know, it's just something that seems like a weird thing that you wouldn't necessarily connect to and to. But um, more people are talking about it now. So that's good. I need that um, in okay. my life. That's amazing. Thanks for sharing that. Yeah, absolutely. I'll put it in the notes. Okay. So I got you off track because we went down the magnesium rabbit hole, but you you were going down for, for more supplements. And now I'm like wrapped attention because the blood pressure thing is also real. So keep going, please. So definitely another supplement to consider is adaptogens. These adaptogens are these beautiful herbs, whether you have too much cortisol, whether you have not enough cortisol, whether your cortisol is out of alignment with the circadian rhythm, they're going to help you adapt to stress. So even if you're stressed out, they're going to make things a little bit less impactful for you. So the stress can kind of bounce off of you rather than sink in and overtake you, right? I um, I love ashwagandha. I love holy basil. I love rhodiola. There's a long list of various adaptogens. I talk about them in my book. There's some that help with libido, such as maca or shatavari. There's other ones that have been studied more so for like anxiety, like holy basil is going to be one or reishi. And so I, you know, typically for most people do an adaptogenic blend. I have um, a supplement that I like to recommend that has adaptogens, some B vitamins and a little bit of vitamin C in it. So you kind of just take you know, one supplement a day versus like 20 different ones. But if you're sensitive, you could do something like an adaptogenic tea. Um, Tulsi tea is one of my favorites. You just steep a little tea bag and you sip on that throughout the day and that's going to help you feel a little bit more balanced. And then beyond that, I really focus on mitochondrial support. So mitochondrial support is kind of one of those, I guess, best kept secrets for energy levels and for brain function, for helping you sleep better at night, for helping you balance your blood sugar. A lot of the supplements I just talked about, they have mitochondrial benefits, but I also add in some D-ribose as well as L-carnitine to the protocol. And I feel like this is why I get such good results. We produce, um, our mitochondria and our adrenal glands produce our stress hormones or the precursor to our stress hormones. And sometimes when the mitochondria like run out of juice, 
where our stress hormones can really get out of balance and then we don't have enough energy. And so getting on that carnitine, 92% of people will say their brain fog is better. Um, this can also improve fatigue. And then D-ribose has been very helpful for, um, it's been studied to help athletes recover quicker from athletic endurance events. Um, and also, I mean, I, I like, it hasn't been studied in people who feel like everything is an endurance event because they're so exhausted. But in my experience, people who have this adrenal fatigue state where they're just like overwhelmed with light, the D-ribose can make things a little bit easier for them and allow them to recover a bit faster. It has been studied in chronic fatigue syndrome as well. And so it, you know, it's, it's kind of one of those multi-purpose supplements that can be a big game changer. And then I do myo-inositol for blood sugar balance. This can be helpful for anxiety, blood sugar issues, PCOS. It can normalize um, the thyroid function in some cases. Again, it's not like every single time, you know, I would give it to somebody, their thyroid function would normalize, but it is something that can be so powerful that I always recommend if you're on thyroid meds and you're taking myo-inositol, test your thyroid function because you might not need as many um, as high of a dosage, or you may be able to come off of the thyroid meds because it it's so balancing for our system. And then sarcomyces boulardii. So this is a benefit. I take that too. I take that too. <laughs> oh my God. At least I feel like I'm getting the right guidance. <laughs> yes. Excellent. I'm so glad that you're aware of that for, you know, stress response and for gut health. One of the things that happens when we're stressed out is our secretory IgA in the gut gets depleted. And then we're more likely to have food reactions and have inflammation from our foods and whatever gut microbiome, whatever is living in our gut microbiome that's opportunistic tends to act up more when we're stressed out when we have that low secretory IgA. And so the sarcomyces boulardii helps to raise our secretory IgA, makes us less sensitive to foods and kind of makes sure that all of the all of the players within our gut microbiome are playing nicely with, with one another and can actually clear out certain types of infections like, um, or overgrowths like candida or mm -hmm. certain protozoa to, to really help your gut be a little bit more healthy and lower the source of inflammation in your body. If it's coming from the gut. Mm -hmm. And just to clarify for the, the less enthusiastic listener than me, um, that's the, the Sacramara Boulardi. I only know how to pronounce the second word is, um, that's, a, a, that's a type of probiotic. Yeah. It's, it's right. I mean, is that how you would classify? Okay. Um, oh, there a are a million different strains out there. And I think people get very confused and overloaded with like, I don't know what probiotic to choose. So I'm going to get this like weird gummy that I'm seeing on the shelf at CVS. And it's like, eh, that's probably not the best way to go. This one is like a very specific and pretty, you know, serious one that again, this was prescribed to me by a doctor. Um, but to your point, it's, I just want to clarify that it is a type of probiotic. Um, so it answers a lot of questions that people have about, you know, what what they actually do and what's best for what and all of that. Oh my God, this is so fascinating. And I feel like I'm getting this like private <laughs> counseling session. So apologies for making it about me, but obviously a lot of this is kind of resonating and making me realize that I need to pay, pay closer attention to some stuff I've been told. <laughs> I, I love that. You know, healing starts with one, right? Yeah, exactly. Can you just remind me too what you said about the blood pressure? Because actually, again, um, my husband has been monitoring his blood pressure for different reasons. And so I've been doing it just to kind of like play along. And my blood pressure is very low, which I always thought was like, oh, okay, well, I might be stressed out and whatever, but at least I have low blood pressure. But now you're telling me that's probably not necessarily a good thing. 
If you have low blood pressure and if you have fatigue and morning fatigue, that could be connected, right? And so adrenal people with adrenal dysfunction, um, chronic fatigue syndrome, fibromyalgia, hypothyroidism, they might have low blood pressure and doctors are like, yeah, your blood pressure is so low. Right. But from functional medicine standpoint, we don't want it to be so low. We want it to be, you know, optimal, right? And so for optimal energy production, you're going to have a um, a healthy blood pressure value. So to raise that, typically electrolytes can be very helpful. Um, you know, a sign of healing is going to be your blood pressure normalizing for your fatigue. And another thing that works really well is a um, is a B vitamin known as thiamine. The dosage and the brand I like is called um, Benfomax and about 600 milligrams per day for women with chronic fatigue and thyroid fatigue and low blood pressure specifically. This can be like the thing that turns them around and generally 600 milligrams per day, you can relieve that kind of blood, low blood pressure fatigue within three to five days. And um, wow, that's women amazing. Like coming off of disability because of just utilizing this one nutrient. I'll yeah. get, I started talking about it about a decade ago and I'll get like random people giving me hugs at conferences to this day where huh. they'll say like, I did that thing you recommended, you know, I took that one nutrient and holy cow, I feel so much better with it. Yeah. So right. this, this can be a big game changer. If you have uh, the low blood pressure, this, this used to be me. I would have low blood pressure. And I was so tired. And I remember my functional doctor was like, how did you even stand up this morning and get out of bed? Right. Because you're walking around with like this super low blood pressure. And sure enough, the, um, the Benfo max was like such a big game changer for me. And I was able to normalize my blood pressure. Oh, amazing. I actually don't have the fatigue symptoms, which I think is why I haven't necessarily paid such close attention. Like I'm very easily energetic in the morning. I don't have trouble getting up or anything, but the low blood pressure combined with everything else you've just explained, I think is certainly an indicator. So I'm going to start adding some electrolytes like now. Um, so you've mentioned, you've used the phrases adrenal fatigue and chronic fatigue. And I feel like culturally we seem to accept that chronic fatigue is like really a thing, but I've heard a quite a few different opinions that adrenal fatigue is not necessarily real or it's sort of like a condition of the mind. I mean, are, are the two interchangeable? Are there differences? And obviously we do believe here in this conversation that adrenal fatigue is real, but can you, can you break that down a little bit? And then I know we have to wrap up, but it's, I feel like it's an important point. It's such an important point. And I'll tell you, um, Erica, when I was studying pharmacy 20 years ago, I, um, was learning, I learned about chronic fatigue syndrome and fibromyalgia. Do you know what I was told? That it's like a women's problem? <laughs> Close. I was told that we're not really sure that it's a real thing. Huh. Yeah. So awesome. I, I was told 20 years ago that we don't really have the scientific evidence to back this up as a real condition. And throughout, you know, I started in 2002, my pharmacy training, um, my doctorate program. And by the time I was getting close to graduation, I remember going to a pharmaceutical conference and, you know, like I just was, you know, talking to everybody, talking to all the drug reps, talking to, um, you know, learning about all the different drugs, getting free pens, you know, whatever college students do, <laughs> um, you know, getting, oh, you get a free cookie if you talk to this drug rep. Right. I remember talking to somebody um, and I, I'm not hundred percent sure what the company was. I wish I had written it down, but they were creating an awareness campaign about fibromyalgia. And I went up to this drug rep and I was like, is fibromyalgia even real? And he's like, of course it's real. It's absolutely real. There's real people that are 
have this condition. They need to be validated. They're suffering. And I was like, okay, that's interesting. If the pharmaceutical industry has taken an interest, you know, they're advocating for it. Um, then, you know, maybe, maybe it is real. And then of course, a few years later, Pfizer came out with the drug for fibromyalgia. Right. And so it actually took the pharmaceutical industry coming up with a new drug that got a patent and they created an awareness campaign, right. Which, um, Mm -hmm. you know, people, I, you know, people can say like a lot of things about the pharmaceutical industry, what they do wrong. What I think they do right is they create awareness campaigns for Mm -hmm. conditions and Mm -hmm. things that maybe people here are just all in their heads. Right. And they do it so they could sell their drugs. Right. So there's of course a profit, but I feel like it was around 2007, 2008 when fibromyalgia was first recognized as a real condition. That's insane to me. It's so insane to me. Um, And chronic fatigue syndrome, I don't know if it's considered real now or yet. I mean, obviously I think it's real. I tend to see people with hypothyroidism and, and chronic fatigue and all of these symptoms, conditions, fibromyalgia, whatever you call it. And most of them will have some degree of that adrenal dysfunction. There's a lot of confusion about adrenal fatigue because it sounds a little bit like adrenal insufficiency, which is the one of the names for Addison's disease where our immune system attacks the adrenal glands. 90% of them will be broken before they stop their ability to produce cortisol. And this is a very kind of life-threatening condition. You can die if you're not diagnosed properly. Most people you know, cannot walk when they're in this Addisonian crisis. And this is going to be something, you know, that can be diagnosed at the intensive care unit. And a lot of people will hear adrenal fatigue and they'll ask their conventional doctors to test for it. Doctors will say, let me do the test. Turns out you don't have Addison's disease, which, you know, adrenal fatigue, Addison's disease, two different things. The names are very similar. And the person that first kind of coined the term, his theory was that Um, adrenal fatigue was a mild version of Addison's, which we know is not necessarily the case. Adrenal fatigue, quote unquote, I prefer the term adrenal dysfunction. This is the body's response to chronic stress, to chronic inflammation. And this is a physiological state. It's not a disease per se, right? It's not a disease because we don't have a drug for it that's on patent, but it's very, very real. And it's prevalent in a lot of people. So people with hypothyroidism, if I were to measure their adrenal function, 62% of them will have um, low levels of cortisol um, based on on my experience, right? And then for people with chronic fatigue syndrome, fibromyalgia, there's this HPA axis alteration as well, where majority of them will have this kind of low cortisol state, which has been called adrenal fatigue. So I guess all that to say, it's very controversial People oftentimes will see the symptoms, they'll resonate with them, then they'll hear that the condition isn't real, right? Because there's a lot of arguing over the nomenclature and the mechanism of action. I could tell you, like, for the people that I've worked with, it's not in their heads. Their symptoms are real. And I can test it on a lab test. Um, It isn't available through most conventional doctors, but we can do an adrenal saliva cortisol panel or a Dutch profile. And then we can see the patterns that are showing up for them. And then, you know, I've done this long enough where I could look at a person's symptoms and say, this sounds, you know, you're sensitive to bright lights, you're standing up and you feel faint, you're craving salt, you have all of this brain fog, fatigue, overwhelm, unrefreshing sleep. You know, I, 
I, I could put my money on it that you probably <laughs> have some degree of adrenal dysfunction and there's lifestyle things you can do to feel better. Oh my God, this is so like refreshing and exciting that it feels like there's actually so much tactical. I mean, I feel like the last however long that we've been talking has just been loaded with incredible resourceful information. So I hope that people are taking notes, but more importantly, I hope people are buying the book because I know that you go into it in much more detail and provide the context um, and all of these incredible tips. But it's so fascinating because again, I think all of these things are truly oftentimes very easily kind of put under a different, you know, umbrella or disregarded altogether as just like, oh, you have a little bit of stress in your life at this time and don't really think much about it. And I said all the time, but like we do get used to feeling a certain way. We forget that we can actually feel so much better. Um, and this feels like, you know, proof positive that there are things that you can do that can impact you even as quickly as the same day in certain cases, but certainly to your point, you know, over three to four weeks. Um, so this is very, very exciting, very informative. And I really hope that people are geeking out on this information as much as I am, because I think that this is going to, your, your study and your kind of protocols are really going to help a, an enormous number of people. So good for you for putting it all out there. Thank you for putting it all out there. Oh my gosh. Thank you so much. It's been an honor and a pleasure. I want to help people feel good. I want people to know that it's not you know, normal to feel exhausted, fatigued, yeah. and fogged and have unrefreshing sleep. They could absolutely shift into a thriving state where they feel powerful, clear-headed, calm, and energetic throughout the day. So good. Thank you so much. Dr. Isabella Wentz and the book is The Adrenal Transformation Protocol. And people can find it anywhere. Yes. <laughs> anywhere that books are sold. It's available in Barnes and Noble and Amazon, wherever books are sold. So Great. thank you so much. And thank you for the work you're doing and congratulations on the book and good luck. And um, I'm going to probably follow up with you and let you know how all of these things are <laughs> helping me. Oh my gosh, please do. I would love to be a part of your healing journey. <laughs> Sounds good. Thank you so much. Have a good one. Thanks. You too. Okay. Thanks for listening to All Too Well, guys. And as always, I am accepting stars, reviews, all of the above. They don't cost you anything and they mean a lot to me. So if you do have time, head on over to Apple Podcasts and throw me a few stars and, uh, you know, just do a good turn. Thanks. Thanks.